Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. This is Cody, and I'm joined by SB Nation's ShakingTheSouthland.com writer, Quacking Tiger. Uh, long overdue, QT, but it's it's good to have you back. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, so a, a lot to a lot to unpack. Uh, we we missed you on the the end of the the, the part two of the the 2018 class, but that's kind of that's already in the rearview mirror. So. Let's go ahead and, and look to the 2019 if we can. Um, starting off with this class versus the 2018 class, it's much larger, our first full-size class and really in three years now. So talk us just like a high level. What's going on with the coaches and their approach? How, how are they going to, I guess, change their approach because of the larger class versus the smaller classes? Well, it's an interesting dynamic that's going on right now because uh, a lot of the recruits are trying to sign earlier than they have in the past. And so I feel like things have been accelerated. Uh, the coach's uh, plan was to slow things down. I know Dabo wanted to slow things down. Uh, but around the spring game, I think uh, the recruits themselves are uh, wanting to push the time clock forward a little bit more. So uh, more recruits are taking their official visits earlier, and Clemson's not doing the official visit, early official visit game. They're, they're waiting to the end. Um, so we saw, I think... A, you know, a, a large portion of the class kind of committing. And this is going to be a big class. It's probably going to be, you know, at least over 25. And I'm thinking more in the 27, 28 range of, of prospects. Um, I, as this class has kind of taken shape, I do feel like, and this is kind of unfortunate because we have Clemson has such a, a big class this year. I do think overall that this is a little bit of a weaker uh, recruiting class just overall. Um, certainly in, in some areas, uh, it's, it's much weaker. I think it's much weaker in the uh, town level for quarterback. I think it's weaker in, in relation to the defensive line and in some areas, uh, especially with defensive ends. Um, and I, I think it's not really a great map for Clemson right now. And even teams in the South, because the recruits are the national recruits are more dispersed. And I'm trying to wrap my head around whether or not that's just, the recruiting industry trying to, you know, nationalize and, and uh, get more prospects from across the entire country? Or is that uh, a mark of a weaker crop in the South and therefore a weaker kind of overall class um, than we're normally accustomed to? And, and right now I'm kind of leaning towards uh, this being a, a little bit of a, of a weaker class. Um, the glaring deficiency right now in Clemson's recruiting class is that we need to sign at least four offensive linemen, hopefully five, and we have not landed a single offensive lineman yet. Uh, of course, it's still kind of early in the recruiting season. Um, we haven't had, you know, camp days, and, and that's where historically Clemson's classes have come together. You have the all-in barbecue and uh, the pressure the pressure applied, and that, that's 
recruiting scenario to kind of put guys over the top, but um, it doesn't look like we are landing or, or able to to attract much attention from some of our top O-line recruits prospects at the current moment. So that's, I think, the number one challenge moving forward. Um, the other major, I think, storyline is uh, we, we now have a, a pretty good DB class, uh, and that is really important, but we must sign, I think, Andrew Booth. He's my number one recruit that Clemson needs to sign for this class uh, because if you look at the, the composition of uh, Clemson's secondary for next year, I think we're going to be really good on offense. We're going to have you know a uh, quarterback that we can talk about who will be in his second year uh, challenging for a Heisman Trophy, I think. If not this year, then next year. We can talk about that later, though. And, uh, and so the offensive side of the ball is going to be great. But we're going to have all of these defensive linemen who are going to graduate, um, who are, you know, all going to be first-rounders or potential first-rounders, we can say. And, uh, and so the defensive line is going to take a little bit. I mean, they have to take a step back. I think that the talent is still good there. But then in the secondary, you're going to lose Trayvon Mullen. You're going to lose Mark Fields. Uh, I'm, I'm estimating that Mullen's going to go to the NFL next year. Um, and so you're really going to be weak at corner. And so Andrew Booth becomes the number one, I think, priority. He's going to be a five-star uh, cornerback. So he's the guy that you have to land. And I think you, you definitely need to have one more quality DB. But Clemson's done a good job so far of, of uh, attracting some quality in terms of numbers with DB. Uh, we've got two good linebackers. That's going to be another area. Uh, a few years from now that we're going to have to fill some holes in. Um, and so that, I think those are the major places. We, we really did a great job last year with the defensive ends and filling in the defensive ends. So that's not as big of a problem. Uh, defensive tackle, we're going to have to uh, attract some guys, but we're, I think we're going to, this class kind of grab some, some high ceiling talented players who may not be fully developed and who could grow into defensive tackles for the future. Um, and, and try to attract maybe some, uh, you know, bona fide five-star guy next class. So that's kind of looking, taking the big picture, I think, where, where we're looking. Uh, the class looks to be pretty good right now. Um, the one thing I will say is that it's pretty frustrating to see some of the guys that we've landed this this class. And this isn't any knock on them. I think they're quality guys that are, you know, worth their their offers and everything. But we, we did have, you know, five scholarships that we could have played with in the last two classes. And that really would have helped if we were able to attract uh, safety or at least, you know, one safety or one corner uh, in addition to who we grabbed the, these past two classes because we've got this kind of hole that, that uh, could be there in the future at uh, in the secondary. So that's one thing that's frustrating because the caliber of guys that we're landing right now in this class, we could have attracted, we could have easily grabbed in the past two classes. So other than that, I think that uh, we're positioned pretty well and nobody should freak out. We're still early in the, the calendar for, for Clemson recruiting. So I had a question uh, and then we get this, we have a new uh, co-host, Sam, and he's, you know, he's just now learning about recruiting and he's, he always says, what are the, the biggest needs and are we going to fill them? And you alluded to it a little bit with the offensive line. Uh, and, and I guess you I, maybe uh, the, the second part of that would be uh, defensive backs and pro primarily safety, I would guess. But let's start a little like if we could dig a little deeper into the offensive line. I'm not asking you to throw like any coaches under the bus or anything like that. But clearly this has been when you look at the, the rest of the, the depth chart, like it's elite talent all throughout, particularly with, over the last five years, you've seen the steady 
incremental growth of like four stars to five stars. But the offensive line, you don't you don't quite see that as much. And I think you alluded to it a little bit last uh, maybe last year we play in a spread offense. There's some negative recruiting about that, but I don't know. Could you shed any more light on on why why there's still a deficit there as relative to some of the other positions? Well, I mean, the the first problem is you need to bring in the numbers at at the position at offensive line. I mean, I I do not think that you should be signing less than three offensive linemen every single recruiting class. And for some reason, we decided that we want to take two offensive linemen, and and that it just isn't a, a recipe for building depth because offensive line is the toughest position to recruit. There is the most attrition. You know, some guys just don't grow into their bodies. Some guys just don't, uh, you know, I mean, it's really hard to be an offensive lineman in, at any level, but especially in college when you've got to make this, you know, big jump and and eating habits and all these kinds of things and training and flexibility. And it's really hard to project uh, offensive linemen. Um, so, you know, you've got to have the numbers first. Like that is the number one priority, I think. And that's the easiest thing to do. And that's why it's so it can be so frustrating. You have to have the numbers there. And then, you know, you can sign a bunch of five, four and five star offensive linemen and still have a crappy offensive line because you just don't, you can't always project um, as easily, I think, as other other positions. It's it's one of the hardest to project for recruiting in the recruiting industry, but also for for coaches and, and seeing how these guys will will, uh, will look and develop. So, I mean, that's you know that's one of the the main problems. I think you you look at it. The, a team like NC State, and I hate to use NC State as an example of anything, since you know Dave Doran is is one of the, I think one of the uh, the biggest. Uh, well, let's just say one of the bigger jerks in college football, right? That's um, fair. Yeah, that's good. That yeah. works. <laughs> but um, yeah, I didn't want to say that. You know, publicly disparaging an off uh, a coach, but you know he's kind of a jerk, right? But they they are able to put together a pretty good offensive line with three star and a few four star players and they have some depth and they, you know, I mean, that's one of their recipes for getting to eight wins every year, seven wins, eight wins. Right. Um, and they're a frustrating team because they should be way better, but they, they're able to, to put together a pretty good offensive line. So you do not have to have the star power, um, but you have to have the numbers. And I think you have to have, you know, the system training system and everything in place. Um, and Clemson's made strides there, but um, you know, it's, it, it's really hard uh, position, the hardest position in, in college football, I think, to recruit to, um, other than quarterback, which is why, you know, it's amazing that Clemson has stockpiled so much talent. Right. That's, and that's fair. And, uh, it, maybe not to jump away from recruiting, but let's, looking at the offensive line, like it, it appears, you know, a lot of the guys aren't really that highly ranked when you, outside of like Mitch Hyatt. I know there's a couple of four stars in there, but like Tremaine Ankrum was a three star, um, so hey, we thought Tremaine Ankerman. I think it was on here. Uh, you know, we thought Tremaine was going to be better than his uh, than his uh, recruiting ranking just because of his arm length, crazy arm length, and athleticism. So, yeah, I think we nailed. We nailed. We can give ourselves some credit there. We nailed Tremaine Ankerman as as a pretty good. Yeah, yeah John is a was a four star too. Yeah. Uh, that was a really, you know, come to think of it, that was a really good class with, and, and that was on the hills of of Mitch Hyatt, Jake from Morgan, uh, the other, the four person class, and then and then John Simpson, Sean Pollard, uh, mm -hmm. and that was, and that ended up being a better class than, than Hyatt's class with Jake from Morgan, from Morgan uh, leaving, but uh, yeah, it's it's a good 
it's it's a good group of guys, and I and it's not to not to like throw salt on them because they they've been they were good last year, and I think they'll they have high prospects for this season. But in you know Robbie Caldwell, Caldwell seems to be a good coach. What uh, what do you make of some of the younger guys on the on the offensive line? And I'm talking about those like developmental prospects, uh, Chandler Reeves, Blake Vincent, who actually met in person uh, on the Clemson's campus. Really nice guy. But how are they? How are those guys coming along? And I'm probably missing a few um, some of the younger players that we haven't heard as much from yet. Sure. So Mitch Hyatt coming back was like the best news uh, almost of the entire. Well, we had so much good news of people coming back. But in terms of the offense, Mitch Hyatt coming back gives you the opportunity to have a championship level, certainly a playoff level uh, offensive line um, because, uh, and, and John Simpson is a great example because if you remember that recruiting uh, of the recruitment of John Simpson, we, we kept in on him. We had him as an oversign. We stole him away from South Carolina at the very end. And he was, you know, a really big offensive line class, but, uh, he was a key uh, to building this offensive line, right? I mean, if we didn't have John Simpson, we wouldn't have the interior depth, the ability to have the interior depth right now. So I think he's like a key storyline, John Simpson's emergence. I wish we would have been able to redshirt him that first year, but, you know, we needed him too, and he played that, that first year. But that left side of the line is going to be, I think, elite. I think we're going to be able to run behind them. I think Hyatt is just going to get a little bit stronger, and he's going to be able to position himself to be a, a you know a high draft pick, hopefully, by the end of the season. Um, so we're going to be able to run against uh, with that, that left side of the offensive line, and maybe even improve a little bit there. Falcinelli's still there in the center, and he's you know decent, uh, and hopefully he can make a few strides. Um, hopefully his snapping can improve a little bit, the velocity of his snaps. Other than that, I think he's a solid interior player. And then, you know, really interesting move of moving Pollard from uh, left tackle or right tackle to right guard um, to get the best, you know, five on the field. And so I think that's uh, a really great starting five that you've got there. Definitely playoff caliber, championship caliber. And, you know, hopefully Pollard, uh, I think Pollard will fit in a little bit at guard. Um, it's just about the depth, right? I mean, that's where we've got a few questions, uh, especially at tackle depth, because you're really using Pollard as the swing guy now. And then, you you know, Ankrum's a full-time starter. So Pollard becomes your main backup along with Vincent, um, who, I you know, I think he's made uh, good strides. Um, I'm big on Bockhorst. I think uh, he's going to be a solid contributor on the interior. And Vincent, I, um, I think maybe... Is still a year away from being a, a solid, you know, uh, we're going to need him next year to, to be a, a either starter caliber or a rotational starter. Um, so he, he definitely needs to, to step up. And the other guy that we're, you know, we're, we got to figure out, I think, how to use his talents are, is Jackson Carmen. Whether that's moving him inside and kind of having him be a bigger guy on the interior, if you can't, you know, kind of shed the, he still has got, has those 10 to 15 pounds that he's got to shed, I think before he can really be an elite player that we need him to be uh, as a tackle. So the question is, do you move him inside and have him learn inside and, and use his, his strength and his size this year, or do you kind of set him up to be the left tackle of the future? Um, and, you know, keep him as a backup kind of tackle. I definitely think that you use his talents this year. Um, and he, he, he'll be a big part of whatever I think, we do in terms of the, the depth uh, for, for this coming season. So, you know, he, he has all the talent in the world. So I definitely think we hit on him 
Um, and uh, we should be really thankful that uh, that Urban Meyer kind of blew that recruitment. Yeah, absolutely. And and you look at the the offensive line. Uh, Hyatt will be departing, obviously, uh, his last year of eligibility. If everyone stay, if the line stays intact, and that includes John Simpson, who he's. I don't know if you'd agree with this. I, I would say he's probably the most NFL type body on the offensive line, aside from maybe Hyatt. Um, so if, as long as the, everyone stays, uh, it's it still has a chance to be a good season in 2019 as well, assuming Carmen does come along. Uh, maybe the one, maybe that's what puts such a huge uh, focus on this year um, to, to nab a few a few recruits because after that year, after the, their first year of redshirting or their freshman freshman season, uh, whoever comes in in this class will be will need to be able to step into duty. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, you, you've still got a few guys like. Jilla is going to be a, a a junior this year, and uh, then you've got Reeves and and Stewart, and you really would hope that Reeves can take that next step. I don't think he's there yet for this year. I don't think Stewart's ready either uh, on the interior this year. But you hope that you can get something out of those guys for the the next year. I think Reeves has got a possible, you know, he's got the the length and the the body to be able to do that. Um, and then you got Bockhorst and and Vincent, who I think are positioned to be contributors. And Dehan is another guy who's going to need another year, I think. And then uh, Carmen, and then um, you know, I think McFadden is an interesting prospect in the after a redshirt year, and uh, and possibly another developmental year who could who could step in and, and fill a role. Yeah, I mean, and I forget it when I guess a lot of us Gage, probably forget about McFadden. I just forgot about Cervenka. Yeah, Gage is, is another guy who can. Uh, I mean, he'll be your your starting center next year. Yeah, and unfortunately, he'll only have he's a like redshirt junior, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. So he'll have one more year. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think what you said, you hit it on the head. Um, like just the numbers game, it's maybe the only position group with that much like guys that will either bust or make it. Um, and you and you don't really know that as they're juniors or seniors in high school, and you got and there's a lot of projection that goes into it. Uh, maybe we can flip it over to the secondary. You, you talked a little bit about it. Um, we've already got some guys in the fold. Maybe you're a little bit upset about, uh, you know, not not the, the the players coming in, but just that we could have taken them earlier and they could have already been in the system for a year, which they, they'll right. need to be. But talk a little bit about uh, Joseph Charleston, who I think is a really terrific prospect as a safety, and maybe physically he's ready. And then Landon Sanders, maybe a more uh, developmental prospect, at least physically. Um, but, yeah, talk about those guys. And, and also who, who we're maybe targeting. Um, at, at the safety, I guess, I guess we have one spot left, uh, at safety after those two. Yeah. I think we still have at least one spot. Um, depends on, you know, who we take if the next guy, I mean, I, I'm Booth is the guy that you want to take, but then there's some other interesting prospects that are really long corners who could, you know, kind of be nickel safety players as well. So, you know, if you land one of those guys that has the versatility, maybe you just take take the five and then uh, and then you're, you're done. Um, Sheridan Jones is the guy who I think is perhaps our, uh, you know, other than on, on the defensive side of the ball, at least, um, is probably the best player that we have committed. Uh, he He's a cornerback who reclassified. He was going to be part of the 2020 class, and he reclassified to the 2019 class. And I think he's a very... Um, kind of an ideal long he's six foot one six foot um he needs to pack on a few pounds but he is positioned i think to be a bit of an early contributor there um from a good good program uh in uh in virginia and that's you know brent venables is mining that virginia area 
pretty well. Uh, Joseph Charleston is a guy who's been committed for a while now. So yeah, it's kind of like we, we forget about um, Charleston a little bit, but he's a pure safety prospect. And I think he's the composite has him as the 155 overall, if I'm remembering right. So, you know, he's a national prospect um, and somebody who definitely can step in. I, I like Charleston's uh, at size at six foot two. Uh, he's big guy, rangy. Um, and, uh, and should be able to, to fill a role pretty soon. Cause we, I mean, even at safety, we, we still have, you know, depth concerns and issues after, uh, after this year and after losing Van Smith, um, this, this season. So yeah, Charleston's a guy I'm high on. Um, and then Xander's is one who's like, ah, I want to reserve judgment. I'm holding off reserving judgment until I see some senior film. Uh, he's in from a good program up there in North Carolina at Crest High School. Um, he, you know, when you, you look at his film and from people that I talk to, he does have a lot of interesting traits and characteristics. I mean, he's a three-star prospect nationally. Nationally, um, you know, he's he's six hundred or something like that, right? In the in the composite, I think is is what I wrote last. Um, but he's got some got some upside and measurables, and you know Brent Venables has they know the Crest program intimately, so they've seen him a lot. Um, so I'm I'm trying to withhold judgment and say, okay, um, let's see some some of the senior film. It's half the time he was playing wide receiver. You know he, play, he plays both ways, uh, and you know at uh, DB I I didn't really see as much of the kind of physical thumper uh, that I wanted to see um, when I've watch film and, and, and talking to a few people, I think he still has a ways to go in being like a physical, uh, safety, but you know, he's, he's six foot one, he's 190 pounds. Um, he's got great hair for sure. And, uh, and I think that, you know, it's wait and see approach on, on Xander's. Like, I don't want to say something right now that's going to like be with me for the rest of, uh, all time and, and eternity here in the recruiting world where I'm putting a stamp on Xander's. I, you know, I will say like, I feel like we could have in the past two classes gotten uh, somebody with the same kind of similar measurables who would already be a sophomore and entering into the junior, you know, and, and uh, who we, we could have used as a backup this year. So um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I, I, I do think that, safety and corner are still positions. I mean, I'm glad that we've devoted so much attention this, this, uh, recruiting class already, but, um, we definitely need some elite high level talent that can step in in this next year or two, uh, and, and be contributors right away. Yeah, some of the guys at safety, and we've seen this in previous classes, they, they develop in their senior year and there's more evaluation that goes on in, in their senior year. And I'm talking about like Isaiah Simmons and Kimball Wallace who jumped up the rankings. So I'm not saying they're like a dime a dozen, but I am hopeful at least they can maybe go the long game and, and, and it's going to be a, a damn good season. We're, we're going to talk about a little bit about the 2018 team. So uh, hopefully maybe someone will emerge and maybe you already know, uh, have a guy on your, on your short list that you hope emerge, but hopefully that's the case. Yes, Simmons is a freak. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what's uh, let's talk about the linebackers, and we don't have to go one by one, but uh, two more guys that are that are three star, and I think a lot, you know, kind of a cursory glance at the 
at the the list of prospects and a lot of people was will say kind of the surface level analysis or surface level take would be wow there's a lot of three stars you know i'm i'm used to all these five stars from the, the past two seasons um but what looking at the linebackers specifically though like um and i know i know there's a little bit of uh I think Constantine's going to get that that bump to four star if he hasn't already. But what what do you take? What do you what's your take on these two guys and, and and the and the remaining take as well? Who would be your uh, your guy there? Uh yeah, Constantine. Um, I, yeah, is definitely a four star. I, I think he's. Um, you know, I I don't know what LSU is doing, but this is a guy in their backyard, and and uh, you know, I'm not really uh, looking at LSU as a kind of um, as a, like Alabama, I will look at Alabama and who they're recruiting and whether they're recruiting somebody in state. And that will tell me something, but LSU, I, you know, I'm, they're just kind of lost right now in terms of like their evals. So I'm not looking at that as, as anything. He's from Louisiana university lab, which is a great program there. Um, Constantine is big. He's six, two and a half, maybe six, three, um, he's 210 right now, but you know, he'll grow into his body and, and he actually is a pretty good, um, linebacker, almost, a, a Sam linebacker right now at a uh, university lab. He has the ability to, to cover. So I'm, I'm really high on where Constantine is. McGuire is the one where it's like, Oh, you know, is this a reach? Is this a stretch? Was Notre Dame actually, you know, was he, was he, was he a take for Notre Dame? Um, but ultimately you've got, um, you know, coach Venables signing off on these and I am now willing to give coach Venables the benefit of the doubt whenever he signs somebody at linebacker, because he's looking for that fit, right? Positional fit in what he wants his linebackers to do. And he wants guys on the interior who are going to be, you know, fill their gaps and play downhill and attack the quarterback. And, um, you know, McGuire's six foot one ish. Um, and so, you know, I think he's a perfectly decent take, uh, for, for linebacker. We have, you know, four guys that are going to graduate next year. So we still have a, a, a few more takes. I would be patient with the next take, um, at linebacker. I'm not, uh, I, and I would wait to see who, who's going to be there. Um, Brandon Smith is the guy who like, if Booth is one, a Brandon Smith is one B he's a linebacker who I think has, you know, five-star kind of talent uh, written all over him. There's a question of whether he's going to play defensive end, will he play linebacker. Um, he would be the guy that, that I would uh, be most wanting to take. And then you're looking for maybe somebody who can be, uh, if you have an additional take, um, somebody who can play Sam, Nickel, uh, you know, kind of a Dorian O'Daniel-ish person. Or, you know, if you find an Isaiah Simmons, that's the kind of kind of guy that you take, I think, for that last linebacker spot but we have you know pretty good depth looking at our linebackers right now i skowski is another guy if you're looking for if we're when we go to spring storylines i think he's an underrated guy who i wish had redshirted um and is going to be a standout and you still have somebody like chad smith you have somebody like shaq smith lots of talent still there um with some years of eligibility if we can keep them uh hanging around and happy for another year uh who i think will be contributors for us. So we're still pretty doing pretty good. I think, uh, at the linebacker position right now, what's your take on crouch? And, uh, and I'm, I'm not even going to butcher his first name, but he's rivals number one overall player. He, he really jumps out at you on film, even as a running back. It seems like 
he would be a better fit for a linebacker. But what's what's his recruitment going to look like? And uh, will that do you know if he has a lean uh, or a preference on which position he would rather play in uh, in in college? Well, I mean, this is you know part of the jockeying, right? I, I think uh, he has at some point been sold on the idea that you know his NFL future is at linebacker. And that's where Clemson, I think, is is primarily been recruiting him. But his recruitment is still in its infancy. I mean, they, there's there's a long way to go there. I don't think anybody should, you know, be jumping the gun on saying, oh, you know, he took he made this interview and he said this person was his leader, and then flips around the next week and says somebody else uh, is his leader. So you know, they, there's a long way to go, I think, for his recruitment. But Clemson is positioned well in I think that top five. Um, it's going to be a difficult recruitment to ultimately pull off, but you know Clemson's there, uh, and they they are in a solid position, as good as position as anybody else, I think, right now. Um, you know, the the big names in recruiting are going to take their swipes at them. Alabama, I think Ohio State, um, I, th- I think Georgia is in there as well. Uh, but like I said, like he's he's going to be swayed by a lot of different people before it's all over. And, and part of that is going to be pitching him on, Oh, you can come here and play this and you can come here and play that. And so, um, I think he's a better linebacker, uh, prospect in the future down the road. Um, if he plays, you know, running back, um, he's going to be kind of cast as like a Bo Scarborough, like huge dude playing running back. And, uh, and I don't think he will go as highly in the draft as he will if he was a linebacker. So that makes sense. Um, we don't have to spend too much on wide receiver. I'm not concerned. Uh, if, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to be concerned. Uh, Frank Latson seems to be a terrific prospect in the mold of what we want at the, at the boundary spot. Um, but maybe talk about him and, and any other, and, and Brandon Spector's there too. And I don't think he doesn't seem to be, uh, he's not a five heart, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's oh, a yeah, good player. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's got some short range uh, quickness. Um, I think he could be a, a you know contributor at the five, uh, especially just because of his ability to you know it's going to be all about for him running routes and and maintaining his quickness as he you know develops a little bit of more kind of mass and uh, Ladson is. And the only thing that, that Ladson lacks right now is size, right? I mean, he's got to get bigger. He's six foot four, but he's kind of, you know, he's pretty skinny right now, but um, he's got the ball skills. Uh, he's got the hands and, uh, and he's got that South floor. I mean, he's not a burner, right? But he's, he's got some, some good fluidity. Like he's a fluid athlete on the field. And so I think he'll, uh, he'll be well positioned to play that nine spot um, in the future. And, we're going to, yeah, I mean, we're bringing in some, some quality size. Uh, the other guy that we're targeting is, uh, is in California, Gata, out there. And, uh, you know, when uh, Jeff Scott has his man, uh, he gets him more often than not. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, look for uh, another wide receiver take. Uh, and uh, that'll be a, another solid class that we keep bringing in every single year. Yeah. Can't complain receivers you know that and yeah there's after like we're talking about after the spring game with uh with the the nine position art with Overton and T Higgins and and Justin Ross not even being on campus and Deion Kane who could have came back for a year of eligibility it's it really is loaded um DK yeah don't forget about Kendrick he's gonna be a contributor this year 
Right, right. He he jumps out at you a little bit on film too, even though he didn't do a whole lot in the spring game. Um, maybe the last position group, and let's talk about the um, let's talk about the 2019 prospects, spring headlines, and that sort of thing. Um, quarterback. So I'm again. Uh, I don't want to butcher names, but Pumachan is that is that right? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, yeah, Pumachan. Yeah, Pumach- Pumachan. Yeah. He he seems to me like, and you can tell me, give me your assessment. But he seems to me like the perfect take, and that he is going to need some some seasoning. Um, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna get that with Trevor Lawrence and Hunter Johnson on campus. He's gonna get a year or two, um, but he seems like he has all the raw tools. I think he gets a comparison to Kelly Bryant. I don't necessarily think that's very accurate, but uh, I, I like him. I think he, I, I call him a toolsy prospect. Um, wh- what's your what's your take on him and um, I don't know who would you compare him to uh, in terms of like recent Clemson quarterbacks. Yeah, no, that's a good uh, good question in terms of um, comparisons. I don't know if I have a, a great comparison for him, but he, I mean, he's you know one of the top dual threat quarterbacks in this class. Um, in the twenty four seven composite, I, he's you know in the one hundred to one fifty range, but that's just because of how weak the the quarterback class was or is this year uh and you know the other guy that we were targeting was uh was sam howell and you know what what tyson has over him is great height like he's six he's a legit six three probably six three and a half six almost six four might grow to six four um and you know he's uh he's skinny as well right now he's gonna have to put on that that extra 10 15 pounds um and but he's a legit dual threat quarterback. Uh, he can run the you know dual option reads and 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 he has the that plus athleticism. And it's going to be all about uh, how accurate a quarterback he can be moving forward and developing a bit more arm strength. And so if he's able to do that, he's a great kind of not a depth guy, but like a future kind of player um as these guys cycle out and i you know I'll, i'd look for another quarterback take here um i think it depends on what happens with you know some of our younger guys but we we may take another quarterback in this class that'll kind of be a depth guy i think um but but tyson gives you that that high level um recruit athlete to maintain that elite level of quarterback play moving forward yeah so uh wrapping up the class it seems like like you said it might be a little bit of a a down class uh across several position groups which which wasn't the best timing but um with things still obviously evolving and and we're we're jockeying for position it seems like maybe a good like check-in or uh, checkpoint might be after the all-in cookout or right before this season so we can we can do uh, take stock of everyone that's that's in the fold, and then maybe have a clearer picture of who could realistically uh, end up at Clemson. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I I don't mean to say that this isn't going to be a an awesome class. Like it's going to be a top five class. This has nothing to do with like Clemson per se. I think just nationally, it's a bit of a down year in terms of the overall level uh, of the talent. But that doesn't mean that Clemson can't get a lot of. I mean, they they're going to need this class to come through for them, right? Because it's such a bigger class than the last two years. So there's a lot of pressure on this class, especially on, uh, on the offensive line and in delivering um, some guys who will be quality starters in the, in the future. So yeah, I think right before fall camp is kind of 
August uh, fall camp is, is when we'll have a good sense of where this class is at. I also think that Clemson would be well served kind of playing a bit of the waiting game. Uh, I know, you know, nobody likes to play the waiting game, but um, I, I feel like uh, there's a few teams, especially like Notre Dame, who are recruiting a bit above their weight level, you know, like how good they actually are as a program right now. Because I could see Notre Dame with their tough schedule um, taking a step back this year and that impacting their their recruiting class. So, um, you know, I think it, it, it might serve Clemson well to, to sit back and, and wait and, and play a bit of the poacher role uh, with the bigger class this year. Yeah, again, I, I think just because we're going to have such a, a great year, at least uh, all indications are we should have a pretty solid season. Um, you're right. Maybe we maybe that gives us a better chance to be the poacher. Let, let me ask you, I wasn't going to, this kind of just came to my, my mind just now, but like you were talking about the last big class, or you were talking about this class being one that we'll have to rely on. Our last big class was 2015. And I don't think we ever, I don't know if we ever did a podcast back then, uh, me and you, I think it started in 16 where we started evaluating prospects, but would you say that the 15 classes and not to put you on the spot, was the 15 class, the best recruiting class for Clemson of all time. And, and, you know, just to kind of, and you probably know the names, but I'll throw them out there for some of the listeners that aren't, that aren't, they don't come uh, readily to mind. You're talking about Christian Wilkins, Austin Bryant, Cleveland Farrell, uh, the two wide receivers that were drafted, Mitch Hyatt. Um, what's your, what's your take on that 15 class and where it will stack up? And if, if, if you don't know it offhand, but I don't know, just, just give me your, your thoughts. Yeah. How, how many recruits did we have in that class? That was, uh, 20 what was the number see yeah i don't you know that's tough what the best recruiting class of all time i mean we did we just went to three straight um you know playoffs uh won a national championship two straight uh championship games it's hard not to say that that isn't the best recruiting class because i mean especially after these guys get drafted in the first round um yeah, I mean, in terms of overall talent, yeah, get back to me on that one. Let me let me think on that one a little bit more, because I, I yeah, I mean, uh, I my I'm inclined to say yes, just because uh, the the results on the field so far, um, and there isn't a class like the 1991 class was a pretty good class. Uh, I think as well, like the, there are some classes maybe in the eighties that I don't, I don't know if they would rival in terms of like top to bottom uh, depth that that 2015 class was able to do. So yeah, let's leave out to be determined, I guess, for that, for that question. I'm going to punt on that one right now. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, and maybe my, my uh, kind of the way I'm judging that is by the results and hard, hard to argue, argue with the results with three, uh, three straight playoffs and championship and, and hopefully another playoff. Um, with that, let's, let's transition into spring storylines. Um, let me, I, I'm always the cynical one on the podcast. Uh, I think last year I picked a three loss season, three loss regular season. Uh, and so with that, I look at the 2018, this upcoming season, and I'd say it's, it's the best team on paper top to bottom that that I can remember and that includes the 2016 season now we don't we don't know about the quarterback and you know that was Sean Watson was our trump card in that season and he took us to, 
to a whole nother level. But looking at this season, let's start with the quarterback battle because everyone's been talking about that ad nauseum. But frankly, I don't think from what we've heard from listeners, I don't think they can get enough. I don't like not enjoy talking about it. It's, it's really fun. What we saw from Trevor Lawrence in the spring game was, I mean, I, you were really, really big on him. I mean, I don't think you were, the, you were the only one, uh, but you were really big on him. What did he surprise you? Is anything he's done so far surprised you? And, and what do you, what do you make of this quarterback controversy? We'll, we'll call it. I'm laying my, uh, my stake down right here. Um, I remember what it's been, it was like two years ago now, two, three coming on here and being like, what did I come on here and say? I hope I did. We have to go back to the archives and say Trevor Lawrence would win a national championship and he would win a Heisman while he was at Clemson, like while he was in high school. Right. So I'm just saying like, I'm, I'm one of the inaugural members. There can be other people, right. But I'm one of the inaugural members of the Trevor Lawrence hype club, right. Like conductor here on the, the you, T-Law train, two two, right? I, you, you definitely called Heisman. I, I and you know the great thing about this is everything we say is recorded, and you can go you can go to the archives. But you definitely called the Heisman, and I think I think a national championship as well. Uh, yeah. So you know, I mean, I was high on Hunter Johnson last year as well, um, and you know, he didn't progress the same way that Kelly Bryant did over the summer. So, you know, this isn't a done deal by any means. And I, I still have a hard time thinking like, this is my personal take. Trevor Lawrence is your, your future, all everything quarterback talent. Um, he's going to take Clemson to the promised land. Uh, and you can't redshirt him. Uh, you have to play him. Um, and, but I understand the coach's, you know, dilemma here with somebody who took you to the playoff, who, Played really decently um, in in a lot of games. I mean, the Miami game played really well uh, in a lot of games in a different style, right? Kelly Bryant running the ball. Um, so I, wh- here's what I think will happen after the the spring game, um, and and in headed into fall camp. If if Trevor Lawrence is able to stay healthy, and if he's able to gain like five pounds, right, um, and he's able to maintain the level that he's played at. During spring spring ball and and uh, and the summer, um, I think that they will have a two quarterback system. I know this isn't popular idea or anything, but I think they're going to have to have this. Um, they're going to start Kelly Bryant, and then every like third uh, possession, they're going to turn it over to to Trevor Lawrence, and then I think they just have to continue doing that until Trevor Lawrence shows that he is the better player. Uh, and then they keep giving him equal reps or more reps until it just becomes obvious to everyone and to the team that Trevor Lawrence is the guy who should be out there, you know? Um, and I don't think that's a bad way to play next year because you don't want Trevor Lawrence to be getting like beaten up and you want him to be able to be there all season. Uh, so why not split up these reps, right? Like why not give people a one, two punch of running versus, you know, throwing. And it's not like, Kelly Bryant can't throw the ball. He can throw the ball. He's fine. Um, it's just that Trevor Lawrence is on a on another level with making all the throws. But, you know, Trevor Lawrence is also going to have a few freshman bumps and things, right? And I think the, the schedule actually sets up pretty nicely for being able to ease him into the season in a two-quarterback system. You have the first game. The Texas A&M game is the one game you just got to kind of get through that. Uh, and then after that, you get another powder puff and, uh, and then you play Georgia tech 
and that's at Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech just lost their uh, their star safety. So I think that that's a good uh, opportunity for for getting you know Trevor Lawrence and, and Kelly Bryant, having them battle it out on the field to see who's going to be the starting quarterback. Then you have Syracuse and Wake Forest. Uh, Syracuse is at home, Wake Forest, and then NC State is kind of your first like big, I think, challenge. And, and NC State, I think, took a step back. So you have time all the way up until Florida State to decide – on the field in a two quarterback system, who's your, who's your real guy. So that's what I think is the, the way that Dabo is going to do it. He's not going to just start Trevor Lawrence or, you know, I mean, you, you would never want Kelly Bryant to like transfer or something crazy like that. If you were to go into fall camp and be like, all right, this is Trevor Lawrence is going to start. Um, he's going to make it a quarterback battle all the way up into signing or into opening day. And then he's going to be like, well, I just, you know, can't decide. We're going to give Kelly Bryant the, the start here. And, but really, you know, they're both going to get reps. So that's what I think is going to happen personally. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, I, I, I think that's an okay way to go. Yeah. I mean, you do have to have some type of meritocracy. I mean, I think that's what the, the whole thing that Dabo aspires to. And he, you know, that's a very important principle. Um, at the same time, like I, I, if I don't know, gun to your head or you, you really do think, you really do think they're going to go with the two a yeah. two-person court. Okay, well, and, and where does that leave Hunter Johnson? I mean, I guess we know where yeah, that leaves yeah. him. It probably leaves him at another school, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, Dabo is about meritocracy, but he's also about loyalty, right? I mean, he, he is... Uh, I think he's gotten better at this throughout his career, but he's he's definitely rewards uh, loyalty to the program, staying in the program, putting in your time. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he definitely is all about merit, too. I mean, I'm not saying he's not... So that's why I say he's going to be forced to kind of do a, a two quarterback system because it balances those two things. I would look, and this isn't what I think. I think what you said will probably play out just if, you know, given, given, uh, Hunter, La Hunter Lawrence, that's going to happen a lot. Trevor Hunter Lawrence, Lawrence. <laughs> given Trevor Lawrence, like a third of the snaps and letting him win out on the field. If he is better, he'll get a large enough sample to prove that he's better. However, there, there is some utility in Kelly Bryant. One thing that, and you know, this, that he was elite at was kind of red zone situations. Like we scored, I think we we're better um, with him than Deshaun Watson. That was the one thing he was better than Deshaun Watson at. So maybe there's something there um, similar to kind of how Tebow and Chris Leak worked together uh, in 2007, uh, Tebow's yeah, freshman year. But I don't know. I, I I don't want to put I don't want to put everything like uh, the Alabama game on on Kelly Bryant, but there's certainly something there in terms of the way that you can game plan against him to not fear his his downfield passing, uh, and and that with a team like Bama, it seems like they can really exploit you. I, by the end of the year, let's we'll say if we are in the playoff, you have to go with Trevor Lawrence, right? By that by that point, I I mean I think that. Uh, one of the quarterbacks is going to differ, you know, separate themselves on the field, right? I mean, if if you give Kelly Bryant all these snaps and he's just he develops as a passer, right, and becomes amazing, then you, then you're going to play Kelly Bryant more, and you know, you give uh, Hunter La uh, Hunter Lawrence. I just said it, yeah, Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> a, uh, every you really do stick to the like every third snap. Remember that, like when Deshaun Watson was playing in his that was his sophomore year. He was throwing in Kelly Bryant after like the third, you know, uh, series. So, you know, Dabo has in his past, like played backup quarterbacks, uh, kind of, I mean, that was infuriating. It's like, you got a Heisman player here and you're playing Kelly Bryant because he's such a good runner. Right. So, um, I can definitely see Dabo at the very least, like 
giving Lawrence his his reps, you know, his his every third or fourth whatever um, in games. And and again, like I don't think that's a bad idea because you can use the different skill sets. Uh, like you're saying in the red zone, uh, you know, Kelly Bryant was really good. I mean, the one thing going back as I watched the season again, I, it did strike me how much we struggled to really like separate or put games away. Um, it was a difficult season. It was a difficult schedule, I think, but we really did. I mean, we relied on, you know, Dorian O'Daniel getting two pick sixes, right. For example, and relied on the defense a lot, uh, to, to come through in those games that were closer than they probably should have been. If somebody was able to open it up with the passing game uh, a little bit more. So, yeah, no, I, but I do agree that we, we were able to, to kind of rely on our, uh, on our running game. We did slow down the tempo though, too. That's another thing. It's like, if we want to pay, play at a, the, the fast pace, um, you know, you, you do want more of a gunslinger. I think that like Trevor Lawrence, uh, to be able to improve the screen game. And, and then we can get into this question of what, like, was that the snaps? Was that Kelly Bryant was a combination? Will Trevor Lawrence have the same kinds of problems? I think it'll be really interesting to see, uh, the two of them though on the field at different times. Cause then you'll be able to really diagnose, like where the deficiencies are in uh, in the offensive scheme, like how things are breaking down. So anyway, I mean, it's a good problem to have, number one. Uh, number two, um, Trevor Lawrence is going to win the Heisman at some point, so we better use him while he's here at Clemson. That's, 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 my, that's my takeaways. Well, there are some Heisman trackers that have Trevor Lawrence listed. I, I don't, I haven't seen them. I've, this has been told to me. Um, so I don't yeah. know, I, but I mean, that's, that's telling and, what we saw in the spring game it would not come as any surprise if he wins a Heisman at some point. Um, let's talk about one player that emerged in the spring game. The, the beautiful thing about replacing players um, and when you recruit the way Clemson recruits, and if you follow recruiting, like the, these things might come as a shock if you don't, or they may come as a surprise if you don't follow recruiting. But when you know about a guy like T Higgins and you saw him in high school and you watched his tape and he was AJ Green 2.0, call him what you want probably in my opinion, the best or the most talented uh, wide receiver in, in the Dabo era um, coming out of high school, at least. I think this guy takes a huge step forward. Obviously I want the right guy getting him the ball, whomever that is. Uh, but I, it seems like, uh, it seems like he's poised to take the next step and hopefully Overton. What did you think of him in the spring game? And what do you, what do you think the season looks like for him? Yeah. You know, last year I was actually pretty disappointed. Uh, I thought he would have a bigger impact. Um, you know, partly that's, you know, quarterback and, and uh, increased emphasis on the run game. But, you know, I felt like he had a lot more that he could have done there. Um, you know, it's a, it, it's too bad. He, he was injured going into the championship or the playoff game and, and then, you know, re-injured or tweaked that, that ankle again and, and just couldn't go um, because Clemson had kind of schemed that up with, with going with four wide um, in the, in their game plan for the Alabama game. So yeah, no, I think he has, uh, a lot more room to grow in the, and he and Overton will be great at the nine position. He just stretches the field. I mean, that's what he does. He, he gives you that jump ball ability, uh, and he can high point the ball and he's got pretty good, uh, route running. I mean, that's the one area where I think he can improve. He needs to get a little bit bigger and be able to get off the line a little bit easier. Um, and if he's able to add on, I think, you know, five, 10 more pounds of muscle, same with Overton. I think that Overton could still reach another level if he can 
just pack on a few extra additional pounds to get to that Mike Williams level versus kind of where those guys are at right now. If they want to be, you know, big physical presence, they still have a little ways to go where they can improve. But right now they give you, you know, these gazelles on the field that are able to stretch the field. So that's not a bad thing to have. Yeah, I'm I'm really bullish on him and Amari Rogers as well. Uh, the two Tennessee guys, I, I think you know, it's 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 crazy that you lose Ray Ray. I think Ray Ray is an All American, and Dion came. You know, despite what some said, he had a, I think he had a really solid junior year despite a few drops. Um, but it's crazy to think you lose you lose those two, but you're still you can still be even more bullish on the 2018 receiver core. Um, who let me? Uh, who do you think emerges this year as a as a surprise? Uh, and that can be offense or defense. If you do, you have anyone in mind? A surprise? Well, I mean, I think that you're going to see uh, John Simpson on the offensive line. Right? That's not a big surprise, though. Um, he's going to be solid on the left side, and I think we'll run to the left hand side on short distance, short down, uh, short yardage situations. I'm big on the potential of uh, Jamie Skowski. Uh, I think that he, I mean, especially in the the spring game, not only is he like a special teams demon, but he's ready, I think, if, uh, when he sees the field to be able to give Clemson that, that needed depth at the linebacker position. Simmons is the guy who, I mean, all eyes are going to be on Simmons. He's going to be this versatile, um, you know, just a nightmare matchup, I think, for for offensive coordinators. Um, he gives you the speed, the size, ability to cover, ability to blitz. Um, and, you know, I, I do uh, like Jalen Williams a lot. I like his story, but he's limited, right? And and it struck me when you watch the Alabama game again. you got Jalen Williams and you got J.D. Davi- Davis on the field at the same time, and you're like, whoa, I mean, this is uh, – totally competent. They were good. They, they played their roles. They, they did a fine job. Nothing against them. It's just that their physical limitations there. And um, Simmons has forced himself, from what I've heard in, in the spring, has forced himself into the starting position there. I mean, he's going to at least split time with Jalen Williams. Um, and, you know, Williams is going to be rewarded for, you know, his... He's a, he's a fine player. He's a very good player. Um, and he will perform his role admirably and be more of a kind of a run stuffer. But Simmons is just, you you know, you don't have to take him off the field. You can keep him in. You can run dime. You can run nickel. You can uh, have him as a Sam. You can have him blitzing. He's going to be a versatile weapon. Um, And I think Garrett Williams is the other guy that you're going to see who's going to emerge. And I mean, I I expect him to take over the the, uh, starting position at tight end. Like if he's fully healthy, he can be a blocker and a receiver, improving uh, receiver. And he can, I mean, he's not going to crazy stretch the field, but he's going to be a decent weapon, I think, uh, especially if you play Trevor Lawrence. Um, and uh, he gives you more, definitely more blocking. So he's going to be, I think, an important piece of the puzzle on offense, uh, especially with the you know interior blocking. And then um, I'm looking at the, uh, the cornerbacks, um, Trayvon Mullen, I think is a guy who takes that next step. I mean, he was pretty much a lockdown corner last year, but I think he's going to be such a lockdown corner that he goes to the NFL draft next year. Um, so I'm not sure that that's a big surprise, but, uh, he's somebody who I'm, I'm very high on looking. I mean, we're going to need him to be uh, a shutdown corner because it's really just him 
Mark Fields and AJ Terrell. And Terrell is the the I think a guy who will uh, will emerge too as a I mean, he's got to emerge. He's going to be the next kind of shutdown corner, I think, uh, at the the uh, on the boundary. So look for Kyler McMichael to play too. He's a guy maybe could be a surprise. I mean, he's going to come in late, but they're going to have to find somebody that's going to provide safety depth and uh, and even corner depth. I think um, I like Lee Anthony Williams. I think he's got a, a great future as a contributor. But he's still, you know, he's still got a ways to go with with technique and with not so much technique as with uh, as with a little bit of added bulk that he'll need to hang, uh, kind of hold up there. Yeah, I was I was actually going to ask you about the areas of weakness on on the defense, and there's really not a whole lot. And I don't really want to spend a lot of time talking about the defensive line. I don't, I don't think there's going to be anything uh, groundbreaking there. Uh, well, we kind of know we we kind of know what we're going to get. You mentioned you mentioned Isaiah Simmons in the in the in the nickel or Sam role. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you t- what's your take on like I, I guess you know uh, come you know replacing Dor- Dorian Daniel that's going to be really really tricky. He was I think Alex Kraft has said multiple times he was the you know the best player on the defense last year. But I, I think more you know if he he can be fine there. I think what what do you think about the depth at safety and and what what do we do in a pinch? You know if that, that would be my concern. Obviously uh, is safety depth. Do we move Simmons back there? Do we slide Kyler McMichael, uh, a true freshman, over to safety? Uh, AJ Terrell. What, what's your, what's your, uh, your, your thoughts there? Yeah, it's uh, the, the depth is not good, right? I mean, uh, you've got Tanner Muse, you've got Kayvon Wallace. I mean, those are your starters right now, and then Simmons is your nickel Sam, uh, and and exists in dime packages as well, and then you've got as backups, Denzel Johnson, who is physically there. You just worry sometimes about his alignment and, and the mental aspects of the game, putting it all together. And then you got Nolan Turner, who has good speed. Uh, he got injured right in the spring. Um, but, you know, he, he's got some limitations as well. Um, but I, I, I think he's actually going to be – I mean, we're going to need him to be a, a contributor. And he's, you know, 6'1", 200 pounds, 205, I think, uh, is – where he'll ultimately be for fall camp or somewhere around there. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think you have to move the most ready of McMichael and Goodrich uh, to safety, the, the person who's going to give you immediate depth. And, and whether that's you know playing like a nickel role or something um, or a true safety, I'm, I'm not sure. But I, I think Kyler McMichael is the guy who, who goes there. Um, and then, you know, then you're putting Simmons at – safety if any of those guys get injured the problem is is that you also don't have great depth at corner so you can't really take somebody and put them at safety like last year you know we we had to use i mean we went like four deep at corner if you remember uh four or five deep at corner at one point we had so many injuries at corner so you really have to have these guys uh healthy so losing van smith i think is a big deal um we have a plenty of front line like our starters and and that uh at safety and corner are are elite like championship caliber top 10 top five defensive level and it gets aided by you know having a great defensive line but if we get anybody injured like tanner muse goes down Kayvon wallace goes down wallace was supposed to be our like corner you know backup and he's not going to be able to do that anymore and and uh losing 
Ray Ray McLeod to the draft is actually kind of hurts us because he was there, you know, at corner just in case of emergency. And you could have put like Terrell maybe back at safety if you, uh, if you were really desperate, but you know, you can't do that anymore because he's going to be needed to play corner and stay at corner. So I think McMichael is really your only major, you got Kyle Coat, uh, you know, who could maybe give you a few snaps here and there, but I, you know, I, you don't want to do that for sure. Yeah. We're, we're quickly to walk on level. If, uh, if, yeah. if a couple guys go down, but like, hopefully, do that, right. I mean, we have five yeah. sitting there waiting for us. Um, so uh, I won't, I, I won't go into that. Beat a dead. <laughs> well, well, we'll say that like, hopefully with this, with the schedule being relatively light, uh, there's no reason if, if there are some like some bumps and bruises like Tanner Muse getting hurt, there's no reason they should be playing through injuries uh, and they, they should be resting and getting ready for a, potentially a playoff run. I would, I would hope. And I feel like, I don't know. I feel like we're kind of not nitpicking because there are serious depth concerns, but given the talent of the defensive line and, and the relative weak weakness of our schedule, I think we should be fine. Um, what what do you think about the offense? If you if we're if we're in October, and we're like this offense just isn't it's not working. I don't know what it is. What what would be that thing that that would hold us back? Uh, you know, I, I it would have to be some injuries on the offensive line. Uh, we don't have great depth at the tackle positions, right? I mean, that's an area of concern. Our tight ends are not uh, in terms of stretching the field vertically have not been great. I mean, I, I don't know whether that was a, a product of quarterback play or whether that was a product of, you know, the, the tight ends themselves. I mean, I think Richard is, is fine. He's not a great blocker. He, he still has room to improve in that area, but he doesn't, you know, he's not dropping passes left and right, but he's not maybe the best or the most fluid route runner um, around. Uh, and then, you know, Cannon Smith, Garrett Williams, I think, will be big there. And I think Galloway's got a future. And and you're hoping that Chalk can kind of come on. But, you know, you're, you're not – you don't have a, a difference maker there at tight end. Um, wide receiver, you're just looking for consistency. I think there's enough talent across the board. I mean, you, you're going to start Hunter Renfro, Overton or Higgins, Amari uh, Rogers. I mean, that's a great starting group. And then you've got DK – uh, Powell Overton, I, you know, I, I'd be interested to, to hear I, I, going back to safety. That's the other possibility is a move of Cornell Powell to safety. He did play that some there in the spring. So that that's one to keep an eye on um, as a possibility. Um, but, you know, uh, running back, you know, we're good with the, it's basically the same as we had last year, except we give all the reps uh, th- that uh, went to uh, shoot. I'm, I'm, forgetting his name who uh tragically got uh arrested recently oh, oh fuller cj fuller cj fuller, fuller yeah. sorry yeah all of his reps just go to one of choice etn or feaster so you know that that should be fine and I'm, and hopefully feaster takes that next step hopefully etn uh can gain a little bit of upper body strength that's where he needs to improve um and uh so yeah i mean I, there shouldn't be anything that goes wrong on the offense um, other than, I mean, even if like you started Kelly Bryant and he had just, you know, it was just awful. You, you have the best quarterback depth. I think you could argue in the country, um, in that quarterback room. So there isn't anything that should hold Clemson back other than I think depth at offensive line. 
Do you have a preference at, at running back? And I'll, I'll tell you that at this point, I feel like Etienne has to be the starter, but do you feel like it's still a, a, a battle between really all three of those players, choice included? Uh, if you have a rotation where you're, you know, cycling out three guys, I don't have a problem with that over the course of the season. Um, if Etienne and Feaster are getting, you know, 15 carries each a game, um, I'm cool with that. I'm, I, I think that Feaster still has uh, another level to reach if he can really get serious about being a football player day in and day out. It's, it's just about consistency with him. I mean, you see his burst and long speed, um, and you see, you know, and I think he's been pushed by ETN as well to get better. I, I think that um, the other thing that, that's going to happen with the running backs is they're going to be using the passing game more this next season. Uh, and this combination of pushing more tempo and using them in the passing game is going to improve uh, those holes and, and make it easier for them to, to run. So, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with choice being, you know, given as many reps as Feaster and ETN over the course of the season. I think he's a decent enough back and, uh, and hopefully he's now completely a hundred percent, you know, so far removed from his knee injuries that he can perhaps, you know, take a, a bit of a next step and they all need to get better at pass pro. Right. I mean, that, that's something that, um, that definitely showed up in the Alabama game that, uh, was a glaring kind of problem. So, yeah, I don't have any problem with all three of them and using all three of them. Yeah, uh, I we're 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 kind of nitpicking, but um, I, I think on on the whole, it's it's going to be it's going to be a really good team. Like you were sitting here, yeah. you were saying even if Kelly Bryan is if he's not performing, there's there's an answer there, and I don't know, there's answers all over the place. Um, it seems like just in your your general, you're you're pretty you're pretty measured. You don't you don't like I guess you don't get overly optimistic. And I, I told a friend how how bullish I am on this team, and he's like, no, I I endured the Bowden days, and like I never get my my hopes too high. Do you feel like do you have that same kind of viewpoint where you're just naturally cynical, or you're you have to wait to see it first, or are you are you really bullish on this team as well? And how do you, how does it stack up over the last like four years that we made playoff runs? Where do you where do you consider this team? Well, we at Shake in the Southland or ne- have never been accused of being <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm one of the most cynical people in uh, in you know the Clemson sports whatever thing sphere whatever we're calling it, um, and I'm like happy to say fully happy to say that this is a it would be disappointment if this isn't a playoff team for sure yeah absolutely Um, what about bama or i shouldn't say what about bama what about the other teams in the field i don't know if you pay a lot of attention to teams like bama ohio state and i think that's about about the list maybe georgia and i'm sure someone else will emerge but it seems like you pretty much have a good a good uh idea of who those top teams will be i mean like to me, it's it's Bama, and that's about it. Maybe Ohio State depends depends on their quarterback situation, but um, I don't know. I just don't see another formidable foe where that that's like making me taper my optimism. I, obviously, Tua would be a bit of a wild card for Bama if he's as good as he looked in at parts of the second half of the championship yeah. game. So Tua Tagovailoa, uh, I actually met him. I know his family pretty well, um, and uh, followed him at St. Louis, the same high school that Marcus Mariota. Uh, went to uh, in uh, in Hawaii, um, and you know he he's a great talent. the The thing that Tua is gonna, if he's the full time starter, 
he's going to throw a few interceptions, you know, like they're, they're going to turn the ball over a little bit more. Um, he's going to throw darts all over the field and, uh, but he's going to have to deal with, you know, his height is a problem. Like his, he's not a tall guy. Like he's barely six foot, I think, uh, if he's not, you know, in cleats or something like that. And, uh, and he, he's got a cannon for an arm and he, you know, will throw the ball all over the field, but they're going to, you know, throw some interceptions. So it's just going to be about, uh, Saban's tolerance for that. If you're looking out west, you've got USC, who I'm not worried about really. Uh, they're they're breaking in a new quarterback, and and Washington, who I think hasn't made that next step to being really an elite level. Big Ten, uh, you know, Ohio State. Everybody's talking about Michigan with Shea Patterson. I'll you know I'll wait to see it. I want to see it before I believe that one. Um, and you know maybe Wisconsin. Like you know I'm not. I would have loved to have played Wisconsin last year. That would have been easy we rolled them uh penn state i you know without their offensive coordinator going to mississippi state i i'm not i don't think they're going to be as good um notre dame's got a tough schedule so yeah it's really bama georgia and you know i the way the playoffs playoff is set up i would be surprised if they sent two sec teams two straight years to the playoffs. so i'm really hoping that one of them gets eliminated right and uh and then the big 12 i you know i Oklahoma, I guess. I mean, they've been recruiting pretty well, but um, I'm not too afraid of of that team. Oklahoma State's going to be missing tons of players. So, yeah, so, you know, there's not not a big juggernaut that I'm looking at as I survey the, the college football landscape or anybody that I'm too worried about. Uh, you know, maybe Ohio State, but they lost a lot on their defensive line um, and uh, and in their secondary as well, so... Yeah, yeah. And, and you, I guess you talked hotel. about, I'm sorry, what was that? Book your hotel. That's what, that's all. <laughs> hey, it's in, you know, we're in San Francisco. It's in Santa Clara. So like, we're just, we're, we're, we've already talked about this. And again, maybe we're putting the, what is it, the cart before the, the horse in front of the cart? I can't remember the saying. Anyhow, uh, we're talking about a podcast party. We're already talking about that. So um, again, maybe we're overly optimistic, but I'm, I, I'm feel pretty good. Um Maybe like Georgia would be the one you'd mention them a little bit. Maybe Justin Fields is better than Trevor Lawrence. Maybe he is the next Cam Newton. Uh, (laughs) Maybe he should have been ranked number one ahead of Trevor Lawrence. But I I think he's probably, uh, I think he's got a a couple years away, but it seems like Georgia, they're, they're not going anywhere, but in the short term, it seems like they're, they're primed to take a small step back based off of the talent they lost. Yeah. I mean, they, they lost a lot of, of talent. Yeah, they I mean, you're going to have one good SEC team in the playoff, right? I mean, that uh whether it's Alabama or Georgia, uh I can't think of anybody else who's really that great. Uh maybe Auburn, I don't think so though. Uh so yeah, so I mean, you can plan on one good SEC team. Hopefully it's not two and then and then you get Clemson, right? So Yeah, that sounds sounds good to me. Gonna be a, it's gonna be a great season. Gonna be a great season. Um, let's so we we'll wrap it up uh, from the from the team, and I think there's a lot of like spring storylines that'll unfold as we especially as we get into the summer and then going into the the fall. Um, and hopefully we'll have you on, and again we can talk more about recruiting as as that takes shape as well. Um, let's let's do a little bit of a fun segment. We never really have done anything like this before. We're we're getting a few questions from from listeners. And sometimes we just have debates here on the podcast, and uh, a lot of them are bad takes from 
my, my co-host Ben. So I thought you could come in and kind of, you know, instill some truth in here, some, some reason and logic. Um, just kidding, but I, I will throw out some questions that they have and uh, some, some other questions. So you don't have to like give me your Twitter link. You know, we can, we can talk a little bit at length about some of these, but let me, let me give you my first one. It's a fun one. It's, it's player related. Okay. Uh, rank, ranking your top five or wide receivers of the Dabo era. So I guess that start that would go back to like oh nine over the last ten years we'll say, and I'll give you my top five and I'll, I'll throw out a couple other names too as so you can and because I have not shared these questions with you beforehand so just so you can you know process a few things while I'm while I'm speaking, my top five is this starts with Sammy Watkins I feel like that's a no brainer, um, number two that's where it gets a little bit tricky is is I go with New Hopkins some people would use a little bit of revisionist history and in professional. Uh, how they've done in the pros to, to say that Nuke was better. I, I think that's that's hogwash. Um, I'm going to go with <laughs> I'm going with number three, Mike Williams. I think him or Nuke could probably be number two or three. Uh, number four, Hunter Renfro. Hmm. I don't think he's just a scrappy clutch guy. I think he is that good. And he's been that productive. And then number five, this is where it gets a little even trickier. I'm going Artavis Scott because of his production and then and then winning a championship, but. Uh, other guys you could have thrown in there: Martavis Bryant, Jerron Brown, Adam Humphreys, Ray Ray, Dion, uh, even I guess Jacoby Ford. You can include him. But uh, give me, give me your top five. Oh man, okay. Well, okay. I'm. I want to say Sammy too, but his sophomore year was not like up to par, right? But look at Nuke's freshman year, and then you know the both of them were three-year yeah. players. Okay, but the defense of Nuke in his freshman year is that he had, I mean, who was throwing him the ball his freshman year? It was... Uh, Hobbled Kyle Parker, I believe. Was it Kyle Parker who was throwing him his freshman year? Yeah, millionaire Kyle Parker was throwing him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and he, you know, I mean, it was Billy Napier's, you know, run-heavy system, right? So they, they didn't give him the chance to be Nuke, right, in his, uh, in his freshman year. All right, so you're saying that Sammy, I mean, it's... He, you got to have Sammy and Nuke as one and two in, in some iteration, right? I mean, there, there's no denying that somebody else, there's nobody else that, that jumps up in there. Yeah, and the only reason I would say Mike Williams was probably like the same reason. If he would have had two full years with Deshaun Watson, I think he would have had a chance to make, make, a, make a, a stand for like top one, two, or at least two. In terms of, I mean, it depends on what you mean for the top five, too, because in terms of talent level, Martavis Bryant is up there at number four, I would think, in terms of talent level. But, you know, you got all the suspensions. You have, you know, his inability to, to play. Uh, the and, and then really only one super high-quality season. So you can't put him, I guess, on the top five list. Um, but I want to put him on there and just in terms of overall talent. I think he would deserve to be there. Um, Sammy also had a little bit of a history of getting injured, right? What are we going to do with that? Nuke was a warrior, like never got injured. I'm, I'm going nuke number one. Oh, nuke God. Sammy number two. <laughs> oh, man. Mike Williams number four. I'm going, uh, how about this? I'm throwing, uh, Jordan Leggett in as number four, a tight end in for the wide receivers. How about that? No, ah, that that's too much, isn't it? That's yeah, he was, he was a faux tight end. He was just a he was a a, a, a wide receiver masquerading as a tight end because he didn't Clutch. block. 
clutch. I, I'm good with with Hunter Renfro at four, and, and let's throw Jordan Leggett in as number five. That that's my five right there. That's fair. I'll, I'll take it. I'm I, I am upset with the whole Nuke number one, and I love Nuke. I love him, and I love what he's doing in the in the pros. But I hate that he's had such a successful career compared to Sammy's subpar career, injury riddle career. I feel like we forget that how good Sammy was in college a little bit. Oh, no, I mean, Sammy, the thing that made Sammy great was he was fresh out of the box. Like, you know, he, he, he didn't even have a, a, a summer or a, a spring ball to go through. Like he showed up in fall camp and was like ready to be number one wide receiver, you know, at the, at the two position. I, you know, yeah, God, Sammy or nuke. That, that's a tough, uh, I will say that, uh, Sammy was injured, right, in the LSU game, the the pivotal game that everybody marks as like the transition for Clemson, right? It's Nuke that catches the uh, the the fourth and sixteen pass. So I'm just putting that out there. And it, I agree, like that was a big game. It was a a huge turning point for Clemson football. But then if you look at thirteen, look at Sammy in that BCS bowl game against Ohio State. So, well, you know what? It, it they're both great. I'll. Uh, I'll okay. I'll say that I'll call it a tie for now, but I, I'm I, I really I really love Sammy as in in all facets of the game. He was just so damn fun fun to watch, if nothing else. True, that is true. All right, let me go to my next one, and this is okay. I guess this is where I'm a little bit crazy, and everyone calls me a little bit crazy, but I think it was our first episode we ever had um, on for the podcast. I had this idea. I wanted to talk about the greatest player uh, in Clemson history, or at least contemporary player. We'll say. And this was going into the 2015 season. So this was before Deshaun. Um, it was CJ or who else? And I, I said Taj Boyd. And I, I tried to make the argument because of Taj's career, because he won at a higher level, because he had three great years, um, and because he played the quarterback position, I, I, I would have picked him over CJ Spiller. Am I, am I crazy? Yes. Crazy. Crazy. Yes. Uh, elaborate. Elaborate. I, well, I mean, it's because it's Taj Boyd and it's also Chad Morris, right? In, in terms of like pure football talent, like CJ Spiller was unrivaled. Like he was in a system that was lacking. He had an offensive line that was lacking. I mean, everything around him was like kind of lacking, but he was just this amazing talent. You go back and watch that Georgia Tech game, right, where he makes that move. It's just like, what? This is an insane level of talent. And he's a guy who I think should have had more, uh, if he could have stayed you know, a little bit more healthy, should have had a better NFL career as well because he was just that, that explosive, that dynamic, helped change the culture at Clemson as well. Right. I mean, he, he helped Dabo to kind of change things. His, his dedication to the program staying the, for his senior year. Right. I mean that, that you got to give him some credit for that. And I mean, Clemson was great, but Clemson with Taj Boyd, but in some ways, I, you know, I don't want to say that Taj held us back. Right. But Taj made some plays that just, that still you scratch your head at, right? Where you had some deer in the headlight games, right? Or just, oh man, things didn't go so well. Threw the ball to, uh, what was it, Bjorn uh, Werner, whatever, the FSU guy. We're just like, oh no, we don't need to be doing these kinds of things. How, how about, uh, shoot, what was it in the bowl game? It was against Ohio State where 
instead of uh, making the pass he was supposed to, he went maverick and, and made his own decision on uh, on throwing the ball instead of doing what he anyway. <laughs> that whole story. Like, there's some things with Taj where I'm just like, oh, I mean, I love Taj. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to. But C.J. Spiller is kind of, he's the transcendental, I think, Dabo Sweeney era player over, over Boyd. Yeah, the one era, Boyd, the one, what's that? Boyd was great, though. I'm not, you know, I don't want to, this. I'm not dissing on Taj Boyd. He's very important. He's awesome. Yeah, the, the one thing I've kind of come around on a little bit is just how important Nuke and Sammy were, and, and even Martavis Bryant, Jerron Brown. And I, I've and I've I've seen lesser wide receiver course since then, and I've seen what that even meant to Deshaun Watson. So like I I do realize now I put a little bit more stock in that. And Dwayne Allen and Brandon Ford, don't forget about those guys. So I, I put more a little bit more stock into that. But I don't know. I, I just you know I think a lot of Taj Boyd, the way we kind of diminish his career is because he has the he was zero three against South Carolina, and I feel like too much stock gets put into that damn in state battle or rivalry. Um, but you know, I, I, I think at this point I will like change my stance and say CJ was the, the better Clemson player, but not by as much as most people will say. We need like some clapping track or something like that. We, we can add that. Ben will, Ben will throw that on. <laughs> All right. So one, one more question, and I don't really like talking about this, but a lot of people ask about it and, uh, and totally our, our normal host asked one, one coach, if Dabo were to leave tomorrow, uh, one coach not within the program you would pick, and and I don't mean just like you can't like not Urban Meyer or uh, or Nick Saban, but a realistic coach that you would pick uh, to come coach to come to coach Clemson. Oh boy, wow, that's a tough one. Wow. Oh. Uh, can Dave and I Doran. what say that again? Dave Doran. <laughs> no, yeah, he would he would not make the the final top five. I mean, I, you know, I really like Scott Frost. I, I, he would be amazing. I mean, you know, it'd be hard, I think, to, to grab a, a guy like Scott Frost uh, who's going to do well and I think, you know, is kind of returning home to Nebraska. Uh, like how high caliber player or uh, coach do I do I get to get? Can I grab, like, Peterson? Like, I think he would be amazing. Um, yeah, I think that's fine. And, but then, you know, you have to be like, do you really want to bring a West Coast guy with no yeah. Southeastern? And you don't under, you understand what that yeah. means for recruiting. Yeah. So, like, what do no. you do? Yeah, do you go for the great coach? Uh, I mean, are are we saying that we're not hiring internally? Like, are we not elevating Tony Scott? I I think, you know, let's let's transition to that. Who do you take? You have everybody on the table. Who do you take? And I, I probably I realize that probably means you're going internally. Yeah. Um, ah, you know, it'd be an interesting dilemma between, I mean, I, I would want Brent Venables, honestly, <laughs> but I, you know, I'm, I'm biased because I love, I love me some, some BB, some Brent Venables. Uh, Tony Elliott makes the most sense. Uh, I said Tony Scott, didn't I? Right. I thought you did that intentionally, but yeah, <laughs> I believe you did. I believe I you combine did. Scott and, and Elliot together to make Tony Tony Scott. Um, no, I would take Tony Elliot. Uh, probably. So I'm the AD. Ah, gal, Brent Venables or Tony Elliot, and then you got Chad Morris as the wild card. That that's probably who my my finalists are for the the, the position right now. Tony Elliot is probably the guy who I would take. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think I, I take him. I, you know what? I love Brent Venables. I don't know that he's cut out. And I'm not going to say he doesn't want to be a head coach. I think I think he definitely wants to be. You see how competitive that dude is? I think he definitely wants to be a head coach. I just, I just think he's smart enough to not take a bad coaching job. But I, I don't think I would take him. I don't know if he has the kind of like program CEO mindset that you need. I could be completely wrong, but I think I'd take Tony Elliott as well. Maybe Jeff Scott. Yeah, no, I mean, Tony Elliott is the, uh, like, Jeff Scott is the better recruiter, right? But Tony Elliott is, I think, the better kind of, oh, coordinator-like person. Um, but then, you know, do you want, as your head coach, do you want a CEO? Do you want a coordinator? Do you, I mean, like, what, what do you value there? Um, so... I think Brent Venables will do a great job where he goes. He's such a good recruiter too that I, I you know, I think that his personality is going to translate into being a good recruiter. And I think he's learned enough from Dabo uh, about how to be a head coach and run a program that he'll be fine where, where he ends up. Um, but it would be hard to pass up. I think Tony Elliott as your, especially since, you know, he's sitting there internally. Um, that's a tough call. That's a very tough call. And uh, I think other programs who have not hired Tony Elliott or Brent Venables are just idiots. I mean, they are just missing out on such an opportunity. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, uh, Tennessee had like a, a list of 10 and they went down through all of them. And I don't even think Elliott or, or Jeff Scott got a call. So good luck with Jeremy Pruitt. Um, hope that works out for you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Now I, I'm I'm good with I'm good with Venables. Like maybe I can come around to that. But uh, it, let's just say this: I don't think Dabo is leaving. I hate I, you know. I think I feel like we're talking about who's going to win the starting quarterback. You know, three or four years from now, like there's so many things that'll have to play out that for for him to want to make that decision to move to, to go to Alabama. Of course, that's where he would go. I don't see that even happening. I don't. I, I think that's overblown by by Fonbaum and the SEC network and all those those guys. I think that um, it was more overblown. Like it wasn't going to happen until Clemson won a national championship. And now it becomes like, I think the door is cracked open for him to do that. Especially, you know, he keeps getting all these accolades in Alabama and returning home and nice and that, that, that. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure it will happen, but like, let's talk about five years from now, his sons have kind of moved through the program. Right. And, and they're no longer at Clemson. And if the timing is right, does he jump and kind of take the next big challenge in his life to go to Alabama and, and coach at Alabama? I could see that now happening. Whereas before I just, I didn't see that even as a remote possibility. Um, but I still don't think it's the slam dunk just because I think there are so many kind of roots and connections and, and the, uh, you know, the charity work and, and the community connections. I just, you know, I think it'll be really hard for the family to just completely leave. And, and it won't be all Dabo's decision. Like I think his, his wife will have a, will, will play a big part in that, that decision for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, he, he has, he's left his, like he's built Clemson, it seems. Uh, and he did not build Alabama and I don't know. There's, some obvious things there. Uh, I hope he stays at Clemson. And but we saw with like Jimbo Fisher, like a lot can change in like two years, three years, where you go from a national championship contender or like seemingly that to now you're taking a ten million dollar year you know job at Texas A and M. 
Um, let me move on to the next question. So this is a little bit of a, it's football related, but not all the way. Should there be beer sales in Death Valley? And I don't know if you have a strong stance either one way or the other, but if you say no, why not? Oh, yeah, no, I don't really have the strongest stance on this. Um, um, increased revenues, right? I mean, that's a good thing. Um, uh, I mean, the one thing I will say is that Clemson's game day atmosphere is so awesome that I almost don't want to do something to mess with that in any way. So, like, if it's if it's working the way it is, like just leave it. I mean, the tailgating scene, like I would never want something to change that. Um, and I'm not sure that beer sales really would change, like dramatically change the game day experience. But uh, you know, people are people are genuine. Like you want to go to a game at Clemson, and that is not the case everywhere that you go. And I'm not sure if like beer sales are like the the factor that that makes certain fan groups just like awful and, and disgusting and everything. But, um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I guess I would say you have to weigh the pros and cons and I'd like to see like what the actual revenue boost would be for the beer sales versus, um, maintaining the same game day atmosphere. Those would be my kind of pros and cons. And I'm not sure where I, where I come down on that. What's your, what's your take? Well, I, I'm all for it, and the reason for it is because of the increase in revenue, and I think uh, one team that implemented that this year, I, I think the profits, not the revenue, but the profits were upwards of a million dollars, and that's not like, you know, that's not in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge amount, um, but it's like, why not do it? Because it, I, I get what you're saying, like, you, you're going to run the risk of people getting too drunk, but I would contend that people are already getting too drunk, and I think, like... I know what it was like to be in college and heck, maybe even a little after college. A lot of people are pounding beers uh, right before they go into game day. Uh, it, just so, just because they know they got to keep that buzz through the first half, right. you know, and then, and then at halftime, I think, I think we still allow fans to leave at halftime. What do you think they do? They go straight to the, you know, wherever the, the tailgates, they, they chug a beer or two, then they go back in. And I would just rather have like one or two beers to sip on. You know, pay six or seven bucks, kind of that cost of entry, the barrier for entry for a lot of college kids. They're not going to pay that. At least I think in my mind they wouldn't. Uh, so I feel like I, I don't. I say why not? And a lot of people say, well, like you know, what? How could how could that happen? How could we implement that? And I'm like, I would also say, well, they do that every Sunday with NFL games, and it, it goes over just fine. Uh, and they do it on some for some college teams as well. So. Right. I'm for it, but I you do make a good point. Even if that one million dollars, or maybe it's a little bit more, is it worth the potential risk? And we are there's already a good thing going, so that you know that's a good that's a good point. Um, I would be for it until somebody spilled like beer all over me, and then I'd be like, man, that podcast pushing this beer thing. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll give out. We have like a big koozie promotion that we're going to give a lot out. So I really want to really want to hit on that um, right. as, a, as a marketing tool. It's all about your bottom line. I see. I yeah, see. it's uh, I have an agenda. So <laughs> one last question, and this is a really heated one. I actually did bet you and I told you this beforehand. It's pay for play, and we won't we won't reduce it down to like should athletes get paid um, because like we could talk. There are so many layers we could talk about that for two different episodes, but 
the the FBI probe with in college basketball. There's lawyers involved. It's getting the the water's really been muddied. Um, it seems like the NCAA is going to do what they always do. They're going to be reactionary, which I think could have repercussions. I think that college football and certain, I guess, certain teams should band together and try to get out and head of, ahead of this in some way or another um, to to implement some type of pay for play structure or at least allowing uh, athletes to profit off their own likeness. Everyone else is profiting off of them. Um, give me give me your stance if you have one, or just kind of like how you how you see things from afar. Um, can your take on it? Yeah, I'll just meander a little bit um, and and talk about I think some of the major points. I mean, it, it, on the one hand, you don't want to change college football drastically from what it is now. I mean, it, it's perfectly reasonable for fans to be like, let's not change everything, right? I mean, we love college football. We don't want it to you know dramatically change. I completely understand that. On the opposite kind of pole, you've got the NCAA, which is a billion dollar organization now, it's like, where's all that money going to? And yes, you know, different colleges can say, oh, we don't have any money for all these sports and yada, yada, yada. But the NCAA has a lot of money going in a lot of different places and bowl committees. And I mean, you know, that whole system, and there's a lot of money that's getting thrown around there. Um, for salaries and things like that. You've got coaches who in the past five, 10 years have had their salaries just, I mean, dramatically rise so that every coach is making at least six figures, which did not happen in the past. And now it's getting up to $200,000, $300,000 for every single coach. Just added another coach, right? And we we're able to now pay them, you know, $200,000, right? Um, so, I, you know, I can see... Uh, the the athlete's perspective where they're saying, hey, you know, why why can't I make some money off of this? And and I think progress has been made in the NCAA at least saying, hey, you can have a stipend, right? Like that was a good first step to be able to uh, to at least give players something. Here's where I think the the challenge lies um, in in uh, in paying players straight up uh, for their likeness with with recruiting. The moment you you kind of open up that that Pandora's box, uh, then you start institutionalizing in a in a particular way. Um, people, boosters, whoever, going uh, players going to a particular team because they know that they're going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars off of their likeness here versus we can give you five hundred thousand dollars off your likeness here, and and so it becomes a recruiting tool. So how can the NCAA kind of manage that? In a way, and I know that the the response is well, it happens now, right? Uh, in in regards to the FBI probe, it's just not everybody doesn't know it. We, we're still playing paying players like huge amounts of money. It's just not out in the open, um, and this way we'll put it out in the open. And I I understand that, but um, that will change. I think, uh, and the the haves and the have-nots will be at least more. It'll be more pronounced. There'll be less ability to kind of regulate it as it becomes institutionalized. So I'd like to hear more um, creative strategies for uh, allowing players in certain ways that that can be kind of across the board uh, done for for all players. Different ways that that players can make money in different kind of pools and, and how that could be institutionalized, how could that could be regulated. What are the creative strategies that can be made? Is it so that after four years you get like just like a percentage cut if you graduate? 
Like I, I like that idea to a certain extent um, off of Jersey sales, right? So we're going to allow you to make money off of Jersey sales or this area, that area, and we control it that way. Uh, I think we could get more creative and have better discussions about, about that moving forward. So those are some of my meandering thoughts. I'm not against paying players, but I do love football the way it is. I'm definitely not a fan of the NCAA though. That's fair. I think as a society, we're really good at identifying problems. And I would say there is a problem here, but you're right. It's also hard to like to find out what the right solutions are. And then once we find out those solutions, who's going to be the governing body that's going to be able to implement them the right way? And I don't. And I think we both agree that's not the NCAA. So like, what what do we do? But um, I don't know. I, I, I do. I think people need to be at least a little bit aware of this because I feel like if you don't start doing something at some point, you're going to have lawyers and other folks that are going to have to, they're going to, they're going to force you into doing something. And that's not something you want. You don't want to be caught up in lawsuits and other things like that. So anyhow, that's, again, we could talk about this for hours on end, but uh, yeah, right now let's worry about football and, uh, and look forward to the season. Um, QT, I, we've been doing this for a while now. I'll let you, I'll let you get back to, to your life. Um, anything you want to plug, like Twitter handle? I know you had a coloring book not too long ago, and I don't think I ever mentioned that. Don't know if that's still a, a thing that you're promoting, but anything I'm you want to plug? I'm not promoting that, but if anybody wants the uh, 2016 National Championship coloring book, we, uh, we got taken down, but then they got, they got put back up. Uh, they're, they're fun. It's fun uh, moments from the uh, National Championship game and season. Uh, yeah, go ahead, buy one of those. I'm not a big plugger, so you know, I- I'll leave that to the, the podcast. Well, well, how about this? What is uh, any any articles, up, upcoming articles that we can uh, look forward to, or uh, anything that you're just kind of thinking of? Some off season type pieces you're you're putting together. Uh, yes, all hail Trevor Lawrence is. Uh, no, I'm not going to write that. Um, I'm gonna. I've been meaning to rank my like top ten most wanted uh, recruits and i will say andrew booth is uh is on is on the top of that list and then uh and then smith is is next on uh, number two and then uh, it's about 20 offensive linemen next on that list but uh yeah i've got a top 10 uh top 10 most wanted recruits coming out soon I like it. And I guess safe to say you mentioned Andrew Booth like I think ten times now. So yeah, safe, yeah. To, <laughs> safe to say he's your man crush for uh, the, the nineteen cycle. Yeah, Auburn better not take him. Now, speaking of the uh, the last topic we talked about, yeah, I hope they don't take him either. Um, well, Quacking Tiger, thank you for joining us. Follow uh, all of our listeners. Follow Quacking Tiger on Twitter. Shaking the Southland, he really does great work. Thanks for joining us, and, and we'll again hope to have you back really soon. My pleasure. Take care. All right. Take care. Testing one, two, three. It looks like it's picking me up. Clemson podcast. Al now Brown. Quow. Quacking. Quacking. Quacker. Quacking. Quack. Quacking. Tiger. Clemson sports. Sydney, 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 Sid.